we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were making an appeal through us. We beg you, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Well, several months ago, we, when we were studying James chapter 3, you may recall that I took some time to speak to you about a situation concerning a man named Paige Patterson. You might remember that he was the president at Southwestern Baptist uh, Seminary, one of the Southern Baptist seminaries. He was removed from that job in response to it to uh, an alleged mishandling of a rape investigation of a student when he was president of that seminary, of actually Southeastern Baptist Seminary. You may also remember that I said at that time that we were going to see, or we were going to see more and more of this type kind of thing. I also said that the accusations will hit closer and closer to home. At the time, at the time, I could not have known how widespread the accusations would be. These past few months, especially the past few weeks, have been, let's just say, harrowing for the church in America. Just this past Sunday, the Houston Chronicle ran a massive story of the prevalence of sexual abuse in the Southern Baptist Convention. So, so this past Sunday, uh, just a week ago, the Houston Chronicle ran a massive story on the prevalence of sexual abuse in the Southern Baptist Convention. This, of course, comes on the heels of the very heels of the Paige Patterson issue. Uh, just this past Friday, the, the president of another Southern Baptist seminary issued a, 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 an apology for uh, for defending a man who was accused of and forced to step down for covering up an abuse case at his church. And even this man is even accused of vilifying the victims. Earlier in the week, there was another man from uh, Harvest Bible Fellowship, or Chapel, that is, who was asked to step down, or made to step down. He was accused of bullying and abuse, and, and he was accused of even mishandling church finances prominent pastor who, who planted the Harvest Bible Chapel and many of you are aware of the former church here in Gainesville that was planted under that flag. Beloved, these things have all happened in the past few days. Sickening to me that I could keep going. As I said a few months ago, I believe that Satan is using the current issues of the day to drive a wedge in the church. Right now, there are great divisions forming in, in the church. Unfortunately, I, I see that most, much of this has been worsened by social media. In today's age, every word that's said 
Every, everything that a pastor says is, is available at the touch of a button. You would think that with all this availability that it would be much harder to take things out of context. But in reality, it's, it's become easier. Our words can be ripped out of context and used against us. But we've also been our own worst enemies. As Christians, we have taken gifted men and we've placed them in positions of adulation which should only be reserved for our Lord. Many of them have been surrounded by men who have been unwilling. These men have been unwilling to hold these people, these men accountable. So the, the folks that are surrounding these men who are being held in these high positions uh, are not holding them accountable, and they have, they have fed into the overall dysfunction. In some cases, the church has elevated men who have pers- uh, charismatic personalities and, and intelligence and are incredibly gifted as speakers, but these men are in no way qualified for the ministry according to a biblical standard. As such, they act like CEOs of Fortune 500 companies instead of shepherds of the people. Beloved, many churches are playing fast and loose with the Word of God. This is even more troubling than the sexual abuse in the church because I believe that's the root of the, this is the root of the problem, the fact that we're playing fast and loose with the Word of God. Listen to this quote by Tom Askell, who is the pastor of Grace Baptist Church in Cape Coral, Florida. Now, he's a Southern Baptist, so he's, he's commenting on this situation, uh, this story from the Houston Chronicle. It says this, An honest examination of Southern Baptist churches reveals a much deeper problem than even sexual abuse. The real problem is spiritual before it is moral. That is, Southern Baptists have a problem with God. They trumpet their affirmation of the inerrancy of Scripture and unhesitatingly call it the written Word of God. Yet, at the same time, the overwhelming majority of their churches blatantly defy the the God of that Word. Now, in that article, in this article, Askell went on to mention that many Southern Baptist churches do not take their membership seriously. He says this, Most Southern Baptist churches have nearly three times as many members as they do people, including visitors and small children, at least some of whom presumably are not members in attendance on any given Sunday. So, let me stop there and say they have three times as many members on their roll as they have showing up on Sunday morning. He goes on to say, as the late evangelist Vance Havner used to say, we Southern Baptists may be many, but we ain't much. Let me break this down. Continue to quote. Let me break this down for you. If you're in a church that has 600 members but only averages two or 300 in attendance, which would be the average to above average percentage for most Southern Baptist churches, apart from some extenuating circumstance, you are in an unhealthy church. Such a church denies not only its Baptist identity, but also the very inerrant word of God on which that identity is based. End quote. This is a Southern Baptist speaking about Southern Baptist churches. Then he he brings up the lack of church discipline, which again, he says, is in defiance of God's written word. And in perhaps the most condemning statement in the article, he says this, open quote, Here is the reality. 
If Southern Baptist church, or pastors, that is, don't care enough about their members' souls to watch over them, how can we expect them to care about their sexual safety? If a pastor, I continue to quote, if a pastor is satisfied, is satisfied, that is, to neglect clear biblical commands and allow members to go to hell unhindered, it should not surprise us if he looks the other way when they suffer hell on earth at the hands of abusers, end quote. Beloved, may this never be said of this church or of me as your pastor or of any pastor who pastors you. Now, it would be very easy for us to say that this is a Southern Baptist problem which has nothing to do with us. But I'm afraid that we would be flat mistaken if we do so. We are kidding ourselves if we believe we are not affected by these things. At the very least, the watching world does not recognize, does not recognize much, if any, differences between denominations. You know, you, you know what I'm saying? If we're a, a Christian church then we're seen as a Christian church by the watching world. They even lumped the the Roman Catholic Church in in with us, right? I mean, so the scandals that have been rocking the Roman Catholic Church are, are seen as being a Christian scandal. Beloved, we need repentance. We need repentance. We need to seriously assess all that we do in in light of the Word of God, and we need to obey Him. We need to obey the Word of God. We need to obey God. Beloved, we serve a good God. We serve a God who is compassionate and gracious and slow to anger, and He's abounding in loving kindness and truth, and He he keeps loving kindness for thousands, and He forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin, yet... He will by no means leave the guilty unpunished. Brothers and sisters, God is good. He is full of grace and mercy. But if we call evil good and persist in defying Him, He will by no means leave us unpunished. Now, I'm I'm certain that there's an element of persecution here. The world absolutely loves to see pastors and churches fail. They love it. They, love, they, would, they would love nothing more. The, the people who, who run the Houston Chronicle would love nothing more to see than to see pastors fail because of this situation. But we must be willing to look at ourselves and call sin, sin. Listen to, listen to the Apostle Peter. 1 Peter 4.14, If you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the Spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Make sure that none of you suffers as a murderer, or a thief, or an evildoer, or a troublesome meddler. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, he is not to be ashamed, but is to glorify God in his name. Then he says this, 1 Peter 4.17, For it is time for judgment to begin with the household of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? Beloved, judgment is coming. I hope you you know that. Judgment is coming. 
And personally, personally, I praise God that I have been covered by the blood of the Lamb. Amen? But that judgment is beginning with the household of God. As we see with the current events, we could very well be witnessing God cleanse His church. I, frankly, I'm not sure there's any other way to explain it. When I look at the, the prevalence of what's happening, when I look at how quickly the dominoes are falling, I, I don't know that I could explain it any other way than God is cleansing His church. Now, I want to make a transition and make a, a connection to our current sermon series. We have titled this series, Foundations of Grace. It is in my intent to use this series title to preach foundational material for our church so that we can reference it in the future. So, so we know that, that when we're preaching the foundations of grace, this is foundational material that we can reference for uh, the, our future posterity. And we've said it before, that it's important that we get this foundation right. Now, I would contend, I would argue that many of the problems we just chronicled could be avoided, can be avoided, should be avoided, if we are committed as a church to obey God and His Word. Let me give a few examples. Currently, we're studying the philosophy of ministry at Grace Bible Church, and we've said that our philosophy of ministry is the summation of biblical priorities that determine how our church is to function. Now, we've given reasons why the philosophy of ministry is important. I won't rehash those. They're, they're recorded for you to listen to. But I would argue that commitment to our philosophy of ministry will help us avoid these harrowing issues that we just chronicled. Also, starting next week, we'll begin to study what the Bible has to, to teach about church government or church policy. I believe that, that we could avoid many of the problems by, uh, that we've seen by ensuring that the church is ruled in a biblical manner, biblically qualified men who are willing to hold one another accountable according to the Word of God. We are in grave danger when we are led by one man with a strong personality who is not held accountable. We're, we're in grave danger when we do that. When we elevate men to the place that only Christ should have, we're in grave danger. We need men to come together to hold one another accountable. At the end of the day, if we don't have biblically qualified godly men leading this church, we will not be pleasing to God. So we're going we're gonna to go through what it means to be a shepherd in this church. What it means to be a shepherd according to the Word of God. Now, In a few weeks, we'll also study church membership and church discipline. We must be committed to loving accountability within this church. It starts with the leadership. It starts with the leadership holding one another accountable, but it, 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 it has to, to be handed down and modeled for the, the rest of the membership. A vibrant church membership and commitment to church discipline are foundational to our church and to any church and will help us avoid some of the pitfalls that we're seeing. As I've said, we're currently studying our philosophy of ministry, and we've said that there are four pillars. There are four pillars which form Grace Bible Church's philosophy of ministry. 
And we've looked at the first three. Again, if you haven't heard the first three, you can go back and listen. But pillar number one is we are committed to the exaltation of God. Pillar number two, our our second pillar, is that we are committed to the exposition of Scripture. And pillar number three is we are committed to the equipping of the saints. Today, we'll look at our fourth pillar. We are committed to evangelizing the lost. As such, we'll use the following following outline. It should be in your, your bulletin. Grace Bible Church believes that believes the church has been given the mandate to make disciples of the nations. Therefore, we believe that Jesus has given us, number one, the message of the gospel, or the message. Number two, he's delegated to us the proclamation. Point three, he's guaranteed the results. Point four, he has entrusted to us the defense. And point five, he has promised suffering. His promised suffering. Let's look at point one. Let's give our attention to point one. Grace Bible Church believes that the church has been given the mandate to make disciples of the nations. Therefore, we believe that Jesus has given us the message. Now, as we approach this point, we need to ask a, a fundamental question. What is the message? What is the message of the gospel? What is the message of the gospel? Now, most of us would say that we, we understand, we know and we understand the gospel. Now, I would argue that we may not know as much as we think we do. We all, we, I would also argue that we should never stop studying and trying to understand the gospel. Now, in one sense, now I want to be careful. In one sense, the gospel is incredibly simple and so easily understood that a child can understand it. Yet in another sense, it's very profound and should rest our attention for the rest of our lives. John Stott says much the same thing. Listen to this quote. The gospel is so simple that small children can understand it, and it is so profound that studies by the wisest theologians will never exhaust its riches, end quote. Along the the same lines, John MacArthur says this, The simplicity of the gospel gives what the complexity of human wisdom promises, but never delivers, end quote. So what is the gospel? Well, the the Bible defines defines it as the good news. It is the good news concerning Jesus Christ, the Son of God. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul gives a fuller definition of the gospel when he writes this, and you can turn there if you'd like. In 1 Corinthians 15, he says this, Starting in verse 1. Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preached to you, which, I, which also you received, and which also you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believe in vain. And he goes on. So he said, I, I, I gave you the gospel. I preached the gospel to you. I've, I've given it to you, and it's the, the means by which you've been saved. Then he says this, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, 
and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, and then to the twelve. And after that he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, most of whom remain until now. Some, some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, and then to all the apostles. And last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me also. So we see the, the elements of the gospel here. We see that, that, that Christ died for our sins according to, to the Scriptures. We see that, that, that Paul was teaching that Christ not only died but was resurrected as part of the gospel. Now, I would submit to you, I would submit to you that Paul's audience had some background information that would help make this make sense. You know, very often in our own day, we simply define the gospel as Christ dying on the cross for our sins. Now, this is not wrong, obviously. Christ did die on the cross for our sins, and he was resurrected on the third day. But we must understand that this this message, this simple message of Christ going to the cross, assumes an understanding of a greater body of knowledge. So I want to take the next few minutes to give you a fuller understanding of the gospel, the message that, that we have been given. That's what we want to make sure that we understand the message that we have been that we've been given by our Lord. So it's gonna this is gonna take five five points of the gospel I'm gonna give you quickly. First point of the gospel is that we were created under God's holy rule. We were created under God's holy rule. As you know, at, at GBC, at Grace Bible Church, we take a literal, literal interpretation of the book of Genesis. Therefore, we believe that God created the world in six 24-hour days. In Genesis 1.27, it says that God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. Now, it stands to reason, then, that if we were created by God, if we were created by him, then we are what? We are accountable to him. In Psalm 145, 12, and 13, it says this, To make known to the sons of men your mighty acts and the glory of the majesty of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures throughout all generations. And so we see God's holy rule here. These, these, these verses speak of, of the majesty of God's kingdom and, and His rule over all His creation. In Colossians 1, 16, it says this, for by him, all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and, un- and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. Now, what, what has been created by him? All things. All things. Therefore, because all things have been created by him, he is, we are accountable. Those, those things that have been created by Him are accountable to Him. Therefore, you and I are accountable to Him. Colossians 1.17 says this, He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. So we understand that God has created all things, and that, he is, that, he, that, that the, the, His creation is accountable to Him. But we must then understand, though, that God is holy. The, we must understand the holiness of God, because it's His holy rule. And His holiness means that He's completely separate from sin. Completely separate from sin. Leviticus, Leviticus, Leviticus that is, 19.2 says this, 
You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. Habakkuk 1.13 says, speaking of God, Your eyes are too pure to approve evil, and you cannot look on wickedness with favor. Now you could also reference 1 John 1.5 that speaks of that there's no darkness in him, and Colossians 1.16. But we were, we were created under God's holy rule. But the question comes up, what kind of relationship are we to have with our Creator? Is He a, a, an aloof God? Or is He a relational God? Is He like a distant king? Or does He live with us? Well, that brings us to our second point. That brings us to our second point. Our first point is that we were created under God's holy rule. The second point is that we were created to know God. We were created to know Him. And when the Scriptures refer to knowing, knowing someone, knowing God, it speaks of a very intimate relationship, very similar to the intimacy of a marriage between a man and woman. We're to have an intimate relationship. In Ephesians 5, Paul uses this imagery, the imagery of a marriage, to speak of Christ's relationship with his church. Beloved, the Bible is clear that we were created to have a very intimate relationship with our Lord, with our Creator. John 17.3 says this, this is Jesus speaking, it says, This is eternal life. That, you, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Beloved, we were created to know, to have an intimate relationship with Him. And not only that, but we were created to need Him. To need Him. We need His wisdom. That's James 1.5. And we need His strength. Philippians 4.13, we can do, Paul says, I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. We need His faithful love. That's 2 Timothy 2.13. If we are faithless, He remains faithful, for He cannot deny Himself. We need His unconditional love. That's Romans 5.8. But God demonstrates His own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And beloved, we need His forgiveness. 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We need His life. Paul tells the Ephesians that, he says in Ephesians 2, 1, And you were dead in your sins and trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world. Then he goes on in Ephesians 2.5, he says this, even in 2.4, but God being rich in mercy because of his great love which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, he made us alive together with Christ. He gives us life. In Ephesians 2.6 it says he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Beloved, we were made to have a relationship with our Lord. And he, he gives us forgiveness and He gives us life. And He gives us unconditional love. He gives us our strength. And He's where wisdom, our wisdom comes from. This brings us to the third point of the message of the gospel. 
We were created to know God, but we cannot know God because of our sins. We cannot know Him because of our sins. This is the tragedy of the fall. This is the tragedy of the fall. We were created under God's holy rule to have an intimate relationship with Him, but we cannot because of our rebellion against Him. Beloved, we, we are in a rebellion against God. We are in rebellion against our Maker. As we've seen, God is holy and cannot be stained by sin. He can't, even, he can't look upon sin with favor. In Him there is no darkness at all. John says it in 1 John 1.5, This is the message we have heard from Him and announced to you that God is light, and in Him there is no darkness at all. Therefore, we can't have a relationship with Him. We were, we were made to have a relationship with Him, but we can't because we are, we're tainted with sin. We, we, we're sinful. It makes it impossible. There's a gulf between us, a gulf that you and I can't cross. Isaiah 59 says this, Behold, the Lord's hand is not so short that it cannot save, nor his ear so dull that it cannot hear. 59.2, Isaiah 59.2, But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. Paul says in Romans 3, a very familiar verse to, to many of us, it says this, Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. For all have sinned and fall short. It's, it, there's, no, there's no anyone that's any, in any different position. We have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. James 2.10 James says, for whoever keeps the whole law yet stumbles in one point, he has become guilty of all. Beloved, it's the, it is the person who comes to the point of understanding their sinfulness, their brokenness before a holy God who ultimately turns from their sin to serve Him. Listen to this quote by John Calvin. Only those who have learned well to be earnestly dissatisfied with themselves, to be confounded with the shame with shame at their wicked wretchedness, that is, truly understand the Christian gospel. Beloved, you have to, you must come to an understanding that there is no good that dwells within you. None. None. That you are undone before a holy God. That was Jesus' point in Matthew 5 when he says, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. It's coming to an, this point of mourning over your sin. You come to a point of mourning and brokenness over, over your sinfulness, and you realize that you have a, this great need. You might remember the king of Nineveh, right? When Jonah preached to him, what did he do? Jonah said, repent, right? What did, what did he do? He repented in sackcloth and ashes at the proclamation of Jonah. And what did God do? God relented, right? God relented. Have you come to that point of brokenness, beloved? Have you come to the point of knowing and understanding your sin before a holy God? Have you come to understand your brokenness before Him? That, you, that there's a gulf fixed between you and Him and that you can't cross that gulf? 
It's, it's impassable. This brings us really to the part of the gospel that we traditionally share with others, right? The solution. We, we, we get to the solution. But, beloved, we have to get them lost before we can get them saved. They have to understand their accountability to a holy God before we can get them saved. They have to understand that they, that they have to, will answer in judgment to a holy God if they don't repent of their sins and turn from them. The solution is Christ was punished in our place and resurrected to give us life. That was Paul's point in 1 Corinthians 15. That, that Christ died for our sins. Beloved, God could, have judged, could judge us immediately for our sins. You're sitting here right now by the mercy of God. He could have left us in our sins. He, he drove the man and woman from the garden so that they wouldn't take from the tree of life and live forever in their wretched condition. God is merciful and kind and loving. And He's patient. We've already seen this in Romans 5.8. He demonstrates His own love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. John 11.25, Jesus says this, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in Me will live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in Me will never die. Then he asked this question, very profound question. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? Do you believe that Christ is the resurrection and the life? And whoever believes in Him will live even if He dies? Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53, 4. Surely our griefs he himself bore, and our sorrows he carried. Yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, afflicted. He was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him, and by his scourging we are healed. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, but the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. Brethren, Jesus went to the cross to bear our iniquities. He shed his blood at the cross for you and for me. But this brings us to what's required of us. So we know what he's done. He has gone to the cross as a sacrifice for our sins. Paul says that, we read it earlier, 2 Corinthians 5, He made Him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. He has done all the work. He has done everything. For by grace you have been saved through faith, that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not as a result of work, so that no man may boast. 
Beloved, you add nothing to your salvation. As I said last week, you, the only thing you bring to the altar of salvation is your sin. That's it. That's it. This brings us to what's required of us, though. It's simple. You must simply trust Christ. We are called to repent from our sins and believe the message of the gospel. Paul wrote to the Romans in Romans 10.8. He says this. This is the word of faith which we are preaching, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus as the Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. So we go for the rest of our lives confessing with our mouth what God has done for us. Mark 1, Mark 1, 14 says this, Now after John had been taken, John the Baptist had been taken into custody, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Repent and believe in the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. Acts 3.18 says, But the things which God announced beforehand by the mouth of all the prophets that his Christ would suffer, he has thus fulfilled. Then he says in 3.19. So we've already said, this is what Christ has done. Christ has fulfilled all righteousness. He he has done everything that, that is to be done. Peter calls for him, says this, Therefore repent, and return so that your sins may be wiped away in order the times of refreshing may, refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. We must then define what repentance is. Repentance is saying no to sin. Saying no to self and its desires and confessing Christ. It's turning from your sinful desires and turning to uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. Said another way, it's agreeing with God about your condition and turning from it into Him. It's agreeing with God about your condition and turning from it into Him. As it says in Acts 4.12, there is no salvation, there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name in heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. Now you might ask, isn't repentance a work? Isn't it a work? My answer is not if it's done in faith. I believe that's Paul's point in Romans 1, 16 and 17. Listen to this. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. (coughs) But listen to verse 17. We're in it. That's the gospel. In the gospel, the righteousness of of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, but the righteous man shall live by faith. I believe that Paul's point is that righteousness from God is completely on the basis, get this, completely on the basis of faith from the very beginning to the end. Put simply, you must 
trust Christ and live by faith in Him. So turning from your sins in repentance then is an act of faith. The fact that, I mean, let's think of it this way. Let's think of it this way. As an unbeliever, I love my sin, right? I love my sin as an unbeliever. I find, I find what I think is satisfaction in my sin. It's, a, it's an act of faith to turn from that, to turn to a holy God and trust in Him. It's an act of faith for me to do that. Therefore, I believe that, that repentance is an act of faith. Put simply, you must trust Christ again and live by faith in Him. Beloved, this is the message that we have been given. This is the gospel. This is the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you may be saved from your sins if you place your trust in His work and His work alone. This brings us to our second point in our sermon. We've been, we believe the church has been given the mandate to make disciples of the nations. Therefore, we believe that Jesus has, we've seen, He's given us the message. Let's look at point two. He has delegated to us the proclamation. He has delegated to us the proclamation. The gospel is the only, the only message that we've been given. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. John 17, 17. Paul proclaimed to the, to the Galatians, but even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to that which I preach to you, he is to be accursed. Beloved, we have been blessed with this message. We have been saved by this message. But we have heard this message from a preacher of the gospel. Romans 10, it says, For whoever, 10, 13, For whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. But it goes on in 14 to say, How then will they call on, on him in whom they have not believed? How will they believe in him whom they have not heard? How will they hear without a preacher? How will they preach unless they are sent? Just as it is written, How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. My beloved brethren, brothers and sisters, we have been given the message of the gospel. You have heard it with your ears, with your very ears, from a preacher of the gospel. God is reconciling Himself to men and women. He has delegated the task of reconciliation to us. He has delegated the task of proclamation to us. We participate. In Colossians 1.28, Paul says, we saw it last week, we proclaim Him. He is our, the Lord Jesus is our proclamation. We read it earlier in 2 Corinthians 5, 17-21. Now all these things are from God, who reconciled us to Himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. 
namely that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. We are ambassadors. We are ones who have been sent out to to go and preach the good news of the Lord Jesus. He has given us the message, and we, we preach that message, and He has delegated to us the proclamation. And thirdly, He has guaranteed the results. He has guaranteed the results. We are in disobedience if we don't share the message. This is a, a command directly from it is a command directly from the Lord Jesus to go and make disciples of all the nations. That's Matthew 28. Refusal to obey Him is a sinful rejection of His Word. We are commanded to be a part of this ministry. That's why here at Grace Bible Church, we're committed to this pillar, uh, committed to evangelizing the lost. We're commanded to be a part of it. It won't necessarily look the same for all of us, will it? Some of us are called to make disciples right in our own home. Some are called to go to other nations. Some are called to go to their neighborhoods and cities. But, beloved, we are all called to go and make disciples. And the amazing part is, is that He has guaranteed the results. We're only called to share the message and let God do the work. As John MacArthur says, I go home and sleep well at night. Because I know that God is the one that's doing the work. John 6.37, Jesus says this, All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will certainly not cast out. We don't have to concern ourselves about the results because the Father will draw those whom He chooses to draw. If you don't believe me, then listen to this verse. This is just right after that. John 6, 44. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. Now, this doesn't relieve us of the responsibility to preach the gospel. And it doesn't relieve the the listener of his responsibility to come. But we are only responsible to cast the seed. We must understand that God is the one who prepares the soil. In Matthew 13, Jesus gave the parable of the sower. Of the sower. And after giving it, he gave the explanation which helps us understand the four different responses to the gospel. Listen to this. Matthew 13, verse 18. You can turn there if you'd like. This here then the, the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is the one on whom, on whom the seed was sown beside the road. So there's there are those who hear the word of God, hear the word of the kingdom, and they they don't understand it. 
and the evil one comes and snatches it away. They don't have an understanding. They haven't been given an understanding to understand it. And it says this, the one on whom the seed was sown on the rocky places. This is the man who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he, he has no firm root in himself, but is only temporary. And when it, affliction and persecution arises because of the word, immediately he falls away. It's interesting, I was in a ministry in California that called the Bible Tabernacle, and it was a transition ministry, and there was a man there who was actually in the movie industry and, and had fallen uh, away, and, and his wife had left him, and, and he had fallen into drugs and alcohol, and he was struggling that way, and was homeless, and he'd come to this Bible Tabernacle, and we were preaching the gospel to him, and, and he, he received it with joy, and, and for several weeks, I mean, he was on fire. He was the first person that I would see when I, when I got there and the last person that would talk to me when I left. And I, I thought, this guy is on fire for the Lord. I'm so thankful for him. One Tuesday, I, I went on Tuesday mornings, and one Tuesday he wasn't there. I didn't think much of it the first Tuesday. The second Tuesday I came, and he wasn't, still wasn't there. And I asked, and oh, yeah, he left. He went back to his life back to his life in drugs and alcohol. He fell away. He, it, the seed, uh, it, it had no firm root in him. It was temporary. And, and when affliction and persecution ar- arose, he fell away. Verse 22, And the one in whom the seed was sown among the thorns, this is the man who hears the word, and the worry of the world and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. So we, we see the one who, who has the world, the, the worries of the world and the deceitfulness of wealth choke it out, choke out the word of God. But then there's the fourth, the blessed fourth, the one on whom... Seed was sown on the good soil. This is the, the man who hears the word and understands it. Who indeed, bear, indeed bears fruit and brings forth some a hundredfold, some sixty and some thirty. Brothers and sisters, God has given us the message. He has delegated to us the, the proclamation. And he has guaranteed us the results. There are those out there who have been prepared. They have been prepared by our Lord. They they are that good soil. And when we sow the seed, they they come to know the Lord and they bear fruit. Some a hundredfold, some sixty and some thirty. It's not for us to pick and choose who will hear the message. We must spread it far and wild. Martin Lloyd-Jones says this, the gospel is open to all. The most Respected sinner has no more claim on it than the worst. So we have seen that God has given us the message, delegated the proclamation, and guaranteed the results. Let's quickly look at the, sec- the fourth point. He has entrusted to us the defense. All of this comes with the expectation that we guard the gospel. That we guard it. Be willing to lay down our lives. Paul wrote to Timothy, guard First, Second Timothy 1.14, Guard through the Holy Spirit who dwells in us the treasure which has been entrusted to you. 1 Peter 
15, but sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make an offense, a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. We're to be ready to make a defense of, of our Lord, of, of the gospel. It's a treasure that's been entrusted to us. It's been entrusted to me, and it's been entrusted to you if you know Him. That brings us to our final point. Christ has promised suffering. And here we end as we began. Really where we began. We started these four pillars with the exaltation of God. And if you remember, I used... Isaiah 6. Do you remember Isaiah 6 and and Isaiah's commissioning in in Isaiah 6? Well, after he was commissioned, he was sent to a rebellious people. In Isaiah 6-9, it says this. He said, Go and tell this people, keep on listening, but do not perceive. Keep on looking, but do not understand. Render the hearts of this people insensitive and their ears dull and their eyes dim. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and return and be healed. Then Isaiah said, Lord, how long? And he answered, until the cities are devastated and without inhabitant. Houses are without people and the land is utterly desolate. Now that doesn't sound like a great message, does it? I mean, I'm gonna, Lord, I'm going to preach this message, uh, this message to these people and this is what's going to happen. The, 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 the cities are going to be devastated and without inhabitant because they, ha- they, they fail to repent. Yet Isaiah was still sent to preach the message. Isaiah was still sent to preach in spite of the fact that he would suffer for the message because it brought glory to God. Isaiah was constrained to share the truth. Brothers and sisters, nothing has changed. Pages of Scripture are rife with suffering for the sake of God, suffering for the sake of the gospel. Make no mistake, God calls us to suffer for the sake of the gospel message. We may suffer at the hands of unbelievers outside the church, and sadly, we may even suffer at the hands of unbelievers inside the church. But make no mistake, All who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. That's what Paul said to Timothy in 2 Timothy 3.12. And believe me, in spite of this fact, despite the fact that you will suffer for His sake if you share the gospel, despite that, if you are truly His, you will not be able to keep from sharing the gospel. Martin Luther says this, If we have faith, the believer cannot be restrained. He betrays himself. He breaks out. He confesses and teaches this gospel to the people at the risk of life itself. End quote. Listen to Paul in Philippians 1, 29 and 30. We'll end with this. For to you it has been granted for Christ's sake, not only to believe in Him, but also to suffer 
for his sake. Experiencing the same conflict you saw, which you saw in me, and now here to be in me. Paul says here, beloved, we have been granted for Christ's sake. That's a that granted. I've I've said it before here, but special word. Grace gifted. You've been grace gifted to not only believe. That's the message of the gospel. That's the message. But you've been grace gifted to suffer. To suffer for his sake. Experiencing the same conflict which you saw and understand to be in Paul. And others who have suffered for the sake of the gospel. Beloved, this is the message of the gospel. We are committed to evangelizing the lost. We are committed to the exaltation of God. We are committed to the exposition of Scripture. And we are committed to the equipping of the saints. My prayer for this church, as we continue to grow, as people continue to come, if that's the Lord's will. My prayer for this church is that we will always, always continue to be committed to these pillars. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you again for this time. Thank you for this time in your word. Father, I thank you that you've given us the message of the gospel. May we go and share it clearly with those who need to hear it. Father, we trust you for the results. In Christ's name, amen.